0: Welcome to The Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out deep into your retirement or somewhere in between, The Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to The Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mick Hyman. He is the author of a new book called Mellow Your Money, uh, How to Surf the Market and Build Wealth Without Stressing Yourself Out. Welcome to The Money Answers Show, Mick.
2: Thank you so much, Jordan. I'm excited to be on the show. Just give us a brief background of your uh, history leading into uh, writing this book. Sure. Well, I started uh, in the business as really a summer intern and turned into a full time job in 1980. And of course, back then, stocks were not looked upon as they are today. They were, um, you know, it was a miserable decade. You know, it was a period of high inflation and high interest rates. And I think the Dow Jones had appreciated a total of 5% for the entire decade. And so I got in there and, you know, people looked at me kind of sideways going, what in the heck are you doing? But, uh, you know, I had dreams of, of you know, making you know some kind of money magician out of myself. And back then they had this uh, Wall Street Week with Louis Rukeyser, I had dreams of being on that. And uh, over time, I just learned that, that it's not about being a magician, it's about being more of a steward you know, helping clients during uncertain times. And uh, as I learned lessons through the years, um, I, I, I kind of wrote blogs and I, and, I, and I, as I learned things, I thought I'm learning things more through experiences than I am through, you know, there's tons of how-to books and, and five lessons and this and that that you need to learn. But uh, for me, it was all through experience. And so as I wrote these blogs, I thought to compile them at some point. And that's what kind of led to this uh, writing this book and hopefully helping people both, you know, relax with their money, but also to to show how we life is about learning and and, and learning from our experiences and certainly a lot of our misadventures. Yes. So people invest. I mean, they've had. Kind of a traumatic
1: experience uh, uh, in both directions, on the upside and the downside. I mean, we had the crash 2008, 2009, people thought the world was gonna end. Then we had a big rebound. Then we had COVID where everything crashed for a month and then rebounded sharply. W- what impact does this have on pe- people's emotions when they see these huge ups and huge downs?
2: Well, I think without having kind of an anchor, an anchor with your money, it, it can it can lead to all kinds of poor decisions. And that's kind of what I experienced. And I saw some clients experience um, early in my career. And so if if you don't understand the risk that you're taking when, whether it be with stocks or bonds, these things tend to cause you to, to always move in the wrong direction. And and uh, and so You know, imagine, I I remember a client came to us and he had bought all long bonds um, early in 1987. And just to see interest rates rise and to see those long bonds, you know, depreciate hugely. Well, he had fired that manager and come to us. Well, he came to us, of course, you know, we, we were more of a balanced manager. So we sold some of those long bonds and bought some stocks right in front of the 1987 crash. So, of course, he's furious with the old manager, furious with us. And what does he do? He sells everything and goes into CDs right before, you know, of course, a terrific time to have bought either stocks or bonds. And And then he came
1: back and apologized later?
2: No, I think he's (laughs) still in CDs and hopefully doing okay, but he might have had to go back to work. But the the thing is, you know, what I learned is if, if we have a balance and we understand what the risk is, that when those things happen, we can we can do the correct things, and we don't get out of whack with with our emotions.
1: I mean, you think what's happening today? People seem to want to take more and more risk. They're doing cryptocurrencies. They're doing NFTs. They're doing meme stocks. They're day trading. They're doing high frequency trading. I mean, that seems to be the direction things are going. Is people yes, are be faster? And, so, what what's, what's going to be the end of that story?
2: Well, you know, we know the end of that story. Whether it's, you know, whether it's Beady Babies or, you know, think back all the way back. There's, you know, these these trends have kept happening, and that was one of the things I kind of wrote about in the book, which was that these things are repeated. We think this time is always different. That our that we're living through an amazing, differently period. But people were taking risk in that, you know, the late 1920s, and of course you had that stock market crash and. They thought, "Oh my God, it's never happened before," but of course, it had happened before there too. And so, with this cryptocurrency and the day trading and all the things that are happening, and and, and including all, you know all the things that we can get distracted on in, in social media, it just lures us away from from an anchor of what long-term investing can do. And and I think if we you know take a step back and and, and try to realize that, that these emotions have come from somewhere. Somewhere in our past. You know, maybe we we, you know, learned about competition and how to keep up with our neighbors who are maybe doing cryptocurrency or whatever it is. If we can get in touch with the emotion that gets us to kind of follow these trends that we know are not sustainable, then maybe we can back up and say, you know, what what do I really need for the long term? And and that's where I kind of like to get people to is figure out how much risk you can take if something bad does happen. It doesn't mean you don't buy any of these risky assets. You know, Say you take three to 5% and you say, let it go. But, but it does mean that with most of your assets, you have to figure out if the, if the surprising thing happens, you have the pandemic or you have 2008, can you take that risk? How much can you take? And then if you, if, if you get to that point, then when it does go down, you've got the flexibility and the confidence to, to do the right thing.
1: So I would say the hottest thing right now is artificial intelligence. I mean, NVIDIA stock has tripled, anything with AI related to it. How do you avoid the, uh, as you would call it, FOMO, fear of missing out, when you have a super hot trend that everybody, all the experts are saying, this is the new internet, this is gonna revolutionize everything, you can't miss the boat. What do you do with something
2: like that? I, I know and, and have you heard that story before? <laughs> In the late nineties with you know with AOL and Qualcomm and and Sun Microsystems and and, and you know, Wang Computer and a lot of these these uh, and a lot more companies that, that didn't survive. The internet was was a new paradigm. Yes. And of course, AI is another new paradigm. And I'm not saying that it's gonna of course technology has taken over. And so it's not that, that you have to say, oh my God, avoid NVIDIA, avoid Apple, avoid Microsoft. No, just, just you know, the, the key is to have them in a, um, at a level in your portfolio that if they do go through a problem, I mean, it was only a year ago that Apple and NVIDIA and Microsoft all went through huge corrections. And so you know, that was a period of time, if you had some and it was, it was down a lot, well, maybe add a little bit. At this point, if you have some NVIDIA and Apple and such, and they, and they got to a high level, you know, let's say you had 3% of it, and, and now you've got, you know, in NVIDIA, maybe you had 6 or 9% of it if, it if it tripled like that. Well, you take, that, you take a little off the table, you know, so that if it does go back, to, you know, it doesn't mean that AI is going to disappear, but the fear of something happening could take that stock down, and, and so you take a little off the table. And it's so, the
1: opposite emotion, what most people would do, they, they see a stock triple and they want to get in more because it's going to triple again. And, and when they see it going down, they want to get out of it before it goes to zero. That's the normal emotion. And so how that, do you counter that emotional
2: pull? I think, I think what you have to do is, is have a perspective of history of what has happened. And again, that's one of the things I tried to pass on is that we're not that unique. And if we take a historical perspective and we look back in history and say, what has happened to these, these, you know, what happened to eventually to IBM and Xerox and the Polaroid? And to think this is, you know, what, I can't remember who said it, that the most dangerous words in investing are, this time it's different. And so we have to, you know, really talk to each other or talk to ourselves about the fact that if we happen to catch one of these runners, this time is not different. Take a little off the table. It's very hard because our neighbors and social media and everyone else is talking about what you said. It's tripled. You got to get on the boat. Right. It's very hard to fight that. But if you look back in history and realize that sometimes doing the opposite of what you feel is the right thing, there was a great uh, Seinfeld episode I, I think called "The Opposite," and I think at some point George, you know, looked at him, you know, looked at Jerry, and he says everything i've ever done everything that that every decision i've ever made has been wrong and he decides to do the opposite what happens he gets the girl he gets the job and and sometimes we have to look at our emotions like that and and realize you know sometimes the opposite is is really what we should be focusing on so
1: are you saying that the we've had a tremendous rise in the market this year despite all the predictions at the beginning of the year are you saying that we're getting to a danger point and you should really be uh, pruning back your winners and be prepared for some kind of a major drop?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying prepare for a major drop. I'm more saying let's follow the discipline. Let's say in, in, in our portfolio, we've decided that about 60% is, is, you know, the long-term target we want to keep on stocks. And at some point, you know, the market runs like it did, you know, this year and, and we're up to, you know, maybe last year because of the drop, we drop down to 56 55%. Well that gave you a feeling of let's get back to that 60. Let's add a little bit. Then the market runs and you're up at, you know, 65%. You say let's cut back. So if you always have this long-term target in mind, then you can make these decisions and it doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, you're going to catch one of these great declines. You know, that's what you don't have to predict because you're just going to follow this discipline and that way if it keeps going up, you might look at yourself and say, ah, shoot, I sold when it was at, you know, four, S&P was at 4300 Now it's at 4800 Guess what? You do it again. You know, guess if, if you if you trim NVIDIA, you know, 20% ago, and now it's up again 30%, but you still have 5%. You say, good, good. I still have a lot of it. I'll trim it again. So oh. your emotions don't want you to do it, but often that's the, that's the way to go.
1: Very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mickey Heyman. His book is called Mellow Your Money, how to surf the market and build wealth without stressing yourself out. You can find out more at his website, which is mellowyourmoney.com. We'll be back after this.
0: Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is gonna be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not gonna be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours visit www.mypassiveincome.life now that's mypassiveincome.life don't let history repeat itself on this one earn a passive income now listen again that's mypassiveincome.life
3: have you had a chance to check out voice america's online magazine and blog
1: Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mick Heyman. He is the author of a new book called Mellow Your Money, How to Surf the Market and Build Wealth Without Stressing Yourself Out. You can find out more at his website, mellowyourmoney.com. Welcome back to the show, Mick.
2: Thank you so much, Jordan.
1: Throughout the book, you, you you compare investing to surfing, which is one of your big things, I guess. Tell us the what, what you can learn from surfing that applies to investing?
2: Well, almost from the beginning, it, actually, I learned to surf late in life, and, and, and my boys would hardly call me a surfer, though I do occasionally get up on the board. But I always loved the ocean, and we moved out here, and, and the boys took to the ocean. And, and I remember we, we watched this movie about surfing. Uh, it was called Stepping in Liquid. And whether it was beginning surfers or some of the great surfers who were surfing these big waves, they always talked about that moment and that connection with nature and the connection with, 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 the, with the water. And so, of course, when we moved out here, the boys, of course, jumped right up on the board and they're doing everything. And I'm fumbling and bumbling and falling in. And, and finally, I got that moment that they talked about where you stand up and you're riding the wave in and i realized there there was a great experience the thing that got me up was that i kept i kept looking at my board or looking at the water and of course when you look down that's where you go and and so finally i looked to shore and then i could stand up and ride the wave in and so that was the first lesson i had was look to shore you know so much of so much of what we do in the markets is is look down we we look at the current events. We look at politics, or we look at the economy, or we look at you know the next person who's who's talking about meme stocks or or cryptocurrency, and we're not looking to shore. We're not looking to the to the steady objective that that, that can get us in. And so you know that was probably the first lesson that that surfing taught me. Um, you know one other one that that comes to mind um, that I also talked about was uh, was a day that. We'd gone to to one of the best breaks in, in California, uh, up up in Orange County called Trestles, and the boys paddled right out, and, um, you know, I, but as I'm paddling out, I kept getting dragged down. At one point, my son told me there was a set that came in that was ten feet tall, and meanwhile, I'm just getting pushed down, and and I had a moment where I thought, I'm drowning, I'm going under. I looked to the left and a guy looks at me and, he, and he, he just shoves his finger back to shore and it's like, oh, I just need to turn around. And back to shore I went. But that feeling of drowning, of being in, in an area that was overwhelming, gosh, it, when I look back at that experience, guess when it happened? Three weeks before that drop in 2008. And, and of course I felt like I was drowning again, and we all did when that, when that drop happened. But it was, you know, if, if you have that anchor, that 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 place you can look at, then all of a sudden you realize, you know what, this may go on for a while, but I'm okay, my clients are okay, because they've got the balance, they've got the right balance. Anyway, those are a couple of lessons that, that surfing taught me and, and I, I tried to pass along.
1: So how should people deal with the flood of information that they're having? You know, the latest stock information, earnings releases and, analysts' forecasts and economic numbers and uh, you know, all, all the stuff coming at us all the time. Are they just supposed I know, to and, and, all and, of it or, or listen to some of it?
2: or what, How are they supposed to deal with this fire hose of information? If, if, if they could just, it uh, <laughs> sounds like too complimentary, but if they could listen to you, as opposed to listening to these people on TV and these economic forecasts, that's the thing to do is, is learn about how to steady your finances. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I heard a guy on your on your show that talked about paying yourself first, how to save money, put it in buckets. Or, you know, last week, John Jennings is on talking about investing like a dead person. Right. I called that in my book, it was used benign neglect. But the point is that, that all this stuff that's out there, is only distracting. It's looking down in the water. It's not looking at your objective. And so um, I, I think uh, John pointed it out, and I would agree, the stock market tends to be a predictor of the economy, not the opposite. So we hear the economy might go into a recession. Well, we're still waiting for it. it didn't, you know, At the end of the year, I think every economist was talking about this imaginary recession that, that they were sure that was going to happen. Well, if you invested like that, look at what you would have missed time and time again. Think of the headlines that were happening in in March of 2009. It it was awful. And of course, that was the bottom. It's one thing that I learned. Oh, go ahead. Are
1: you an active contrarian? I mean, March of 2009? You are borrowing all the equity of your home to put it into the market as fast as you could?
2: <laughs> of course. That's why I'm still working and I'm writing a book. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I'm not. I, I, I try to be a contrarian, but not to make big bets. In other words, um, was I piling in money? There were, there were moments in early 2009 that suggested the market was bottoming. And I'll tell you what they were. As the market was making a new low, a lot of technology stocks were, uh, maybe they were low, but they weren't crashing like the rest of the market. And so there, that's called uh, positive divergence. The market's going down, but these stocks are doing okay. And you think, okay, well, maybe the worst is over, at least for a little while. You didn't know it would go on for the next 14 years with, with very little correction. But, but there, are, there are signals at times that things are steadying well, that's not a time to mortgage your house or do crazy things like that, but it might be a time if you're, again, going back to that 60% uh, example, to get some money back towards that 60%. You know, it, it just as soon as the market drops, it, you don't maybe automatically just throw more money at it, but once it starts kind of studying out, that would be a time to at least get back to your objective. You know, is that going to make you millions of dollars or... No, but over time, that discipline will get you to your long-term objective.
1: So with your clients, are you actively managing money and they have to give you discretion and you have a fiduciary situation where you um, manage the money for them? That's correct. Okay, so if that's what's happening, do you get grief from them either direction, like in March of 2020 when the market was plunging 40% because of COVID and you are hanging in there and not selling and then the vice versa, this year when the market's soaring, are they saying, you know, you should have gotten out then or you should have gotten in now? Are they kind of giving you grief that you should have done the opposite in, in hindsight?
2: You know, I, I, I'm not bragging, but I have such an amazing clientele. And part of it is they've worked with me for a long time. And so I can remember in, in 2008 when the market was declining, the calls I got were amazingly worrying about me, not their money. Uh-huh. They were saying, "Mick, are you okay? You've got to be scared. You've got to be worried. Well, they knew that they had um, no more in stocks than they could afford. They had some bonds that actually the bonds back then, treasury bonds, made money. And so they weren't getting crushed by the market. It was, it was not a good time, and, of course, no one's thrilled by that, but by and large, my clients understand that the markets go up and down and, and sometimes they're the ones encouraging me, gosh, Nick, it's been down and w- when are you going to start buying? And so, you know, part of this is, is you know, training myself and training my clients that, that we've got to pay attention. Believe me, uh, March of, of 2020, <laughs> when it seemed like uh, this pandemic was going crazy and the market was in free fall. Uh, don't think I was inside that Mr. Mellow guy. <laughs> you know, I was buying toilet paper with everybody else.
1: You know? <laughs> so so again, but something kicked in. You didn't sell. Something else kicked in and said, I don't want to get uh, wrapped up in the emotion of the moment. Is that right?
2: Correct. Correct. And of course, everybody's predicting everything. And And one of the things that really helped me, it was early in my career, was, Going back, and I had to get this data in this in this computer that we had just gotten. And back then, the only way to get the data was go to the library and get it out of Barron's and other publications. And, of course, as opposed to just getting the data, I couldn't resist reading the headlines. And, and the headlines every week or every few weeks, it seemed like from 1920s, when I started at least, I'm sure it goes back further, the world was always coming to an end. And then the market would move on and you had Pearl Harbor and you think, oh my God, Pearl Harbor must've been like nine 11. Well, the fear that it caused, I'm sure was the same, but the market actually started heading up pretty shortly thereafter. Who would have thought, but that's, that's what kind of taught me that the headlines and the things that people are saying are so inconsistent with how the market acts. You've got to just focus on your long-term objective and assume have confidence that that things do come back and and usually from from the worst.
1: How is it that the market, which is made up of millions of individual decisions of people buying and selling, can forecast the future and, and, you know, it starts moving up before anything's gotten better, or it starts moving down before things get worse. How does that work?
2: You know, I I guess partly the, the market is a discounting machine. And so what what often happens is that as the market sees something happening or sees the key part of information that that um, is happening and it's well before what we might think about, it starts heading down. And of course, um, as that information flow gets more into the market, of course, then further it goes further and further. But, you know, these companies and, and, and that gets to another point, but these companies are, are real companies, and they're, most of them are not going away when the market goes down. And so the stock market itself, made up of these, uh, you know, thousands of companies, eventually you look at that, that stock or that company and say, it's not going away. Same thought I had in 2009 when, when you looked at, you know, Microsoft and Procter & Gamble, and, and, and they were not going away. And even though the price was down, I think the market itself figures that out oh, there's a value here. And based on that value, the stock will go up in the face of of really bad news. And then it feeds on itself.
1: Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answers Show. My guest this hour is Mick Heyman. He is the author of a book called Mellow Your Money, How to Surf the Market and Build Wealth Without Stressing Yourself Out. You can find out more at his website, mellowyourmoney.com. We'll be back after this.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mick Heyman. He is the author of a book called Mellow Your Money, How to Surf the Market and Build Wealth Without Stressing Yourself Out. You can find out more at his website, mellowyourmoney.com. Welcome back to the show, Mick.
2: Thank you so much, Jordan.
1: Now, a lot of people say politics is very important to economics and to your market, so there's these presidential election cycles, and you should follow the election. There's even these election stock markets now where you can bet on different candidates and who's going to win and back and forth, um, and the direction of the economy is based on fiscal policy coming out of Washington. How should you look at politics and,
2: and your portfolio? Well, I don't know the best way to say, To to, I don't want to say ignore politics because, of course, it's an important part of our lives. And so everyone, you know, I'll, I'll echo the theme of know, you know, know what your issues are and know your candidates and vote accordingly. But relative to the stock market, I have found it almost as irrelevant as following the economy over time. And, of course, they are related. One of the problems is that even if you if, if, if a president came in with a certain, uh, you know, theory and, and was able to get it through Congress and you said, well, this is either good for the market or bad for the market, the delay can be for so long that you really don't know, you know, when that's going to have an effect. You know, so often <laughs> and, and, and presidents are no different than in, investment advisors, you know, if if. You know something is going well. Guess what? They take credit for it, you know, because it's going well. And but but is it going well because of something they did or the past president did maybe six years beforehand? And so it, it gets so c- confusing with with what people are taking credit for. And of course, you know, every every person that's you know, talking on either a news show or social media is is doing the same thing. This is his fault. No. This is a good thing that he did, and and there's so much distraction that I find it uh, almost just too confusing to really connect to the stock market. Again, stay to your objective. But well, I'll give one example where uh, you know people can be just dead wrong when they seem like it made so much sense. When Bill Clinton got elected, he immediately raised taxes on on. On individuals and, and such. And and that was thought to be a, a fiscally, um, you know, he, he was trying to balance the budget, which of course he eventually did. But it was thought to be such a strain on the economy on people spending monies. And if you're being taxed more, you know, it, it makes sense that you're going to spend less money and the economy won't do as well. Well, just think of the market in the 90s. It was fantastic. And of course, it was led by you know, technology that, you know, in the late 90s in particular. But, you know, politics and that tax program was just one piece of a puzzle that's much bigger than anybody can imagine. And so to think that you can, you know, figure out what the president is doing or saying he's going to do and connect it to how the stock market is going to do, I I think uh, we're kidding ourselves. I mean, the current thinking today would be the
1: passage of the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, and the CHIPS Act, means there's going to be a massive investment in new plants and equipment and semiconductors and infrastructure and all the things that are going to be funded by that. So all those infrastructure-related, uh, construction-related companies have been going up a lot. Uh, are you saying that makes no sense at all?
2: No, I think that, that uh, it's connected to that. But uh, whether whether all those, um, whether that act and, and whether the, the the stocks are going up, in the short term because of that. And and I think, you know, being a diversified investor, I'm participating in that too. So again, I'm not saying spit in the wind with with things like that. But whether that's gonna, gonna help deer and cat and 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 Cummins engine, you know, over the next two to five years, well we'll see. You know, they they they've got this short term money and and certainly uh the stock market is rewarding a lot of these companies for that. But you know, if you're a long-term investor, you kind of got to think: is is it over a little overdone or not? And and so um, I'm not selling those stocks. I've got a you know a balance of those stocks, but I don't think you know that's that's necessarily the overriding theme, because we don't know what that that next thing is going to be. You know, come come October or, or November, a lot of times we all know about the. um, those acts, and and they certainly have been a positive, but on the other hand, the market knows that too, and so it's discounted much of that.
1: How should people prepare for surprises, either positive or negative, and manage their money according to, I mean, there's this kind of theory of the black swan, that something comes out of the blue that nobody predicted. I think COVID might be an example of that, actually. Um, So how does one prepare for something completely out of the blue that you don't expect Affecting okay. things either negatively or positively.
2: Yeah, I think what you have to do um, in in this in the market is really assume that those things are going to happen. You know, whether it was the pandemic or nine eleven, or you know, you know the nineteen eighty seven crash. These things happen, and so it was uh, one of my favorite authors. Um, you know, wrote uh, about a hundred years ago is Jesse Livermore. Uh, Reminiscences of a Stock Operator great book, learning from his experiences and his, you know, many, um, you know, successes and failures. He always said, you know, every time he he'd make, make millions and lose millions. And he always said, Well, that's my tuition fee. And so um, it, but but what, what you have to think about is these things do happen. And so you take stocks down to what he called the sleeping level. And so what is it? What is that that, you know, level of stock exposure that you'd have that if something does come out of the blue you're going to be okay. And and everyone's a little different. And you know, imagine you know if somebody's 25 years old and they're just starting their their Roth IRA or just starting to save money and someone tells them, "Well, you're in there for the long term. So you should put all your money in stocks. Don't worry about it. You've got, you know, 40 years." The next thing that happens is the market drops 30%, and they're going, Oh no, my thousand dollars or whatever it is, it's $700. How stupid am I? I should be listening to social media. They told me to do cryptocurrency or meme stocks. And so, by having too much in stocks and not being warned that these things can happen, guess what that person could do? Well, maybe get out of stocks or you know, quit saving or whatever it might be. That might be the costliest $300 that that, that person ever had. And so, if you make sure that you assume this could happen. Then the, the, the calm person says, okay, it's the next month, I'll put another thousand in. And over time, I'm gonna be okay. If you, don't, if you don't look at those surprises and say, that could happen next week, then I think that surprise could cause you to do the wrong thing. If you assume they are gonna happen, then, then you can put yourself in a position to at least take advantage or at least not do the wrong thing.
1: It's all about risk. So, how do you determine the difference between a real risk versus perceived risk in investing?
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's a funny uh, example to think about because constantly in our lives we are we are sometimes mixing that up. I gave an example of of uh, in my book of I was doing a, a little um, scrambling and rock climbing, and we got to a point that we had to climb down and it was probably the scariest time in my life that we had a guide and he was guiding me down but at one point my foot is slipping and i'm thinking oh my god i'm going down and i'm scared to death and eventually talk myself into taking the next step down and and down i went and probably one of the happiest moments of my life and uh, a woman with her polaroid took a picture of me hanging off that ledge um scared to death and I was about three feet off the ground. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, that was not a real risk. And how often are we speeding along driving, taking a taking a risk of uh, you know of of, of of you know in our car because we're afraid to be late for two minutes. Is that a real risk? Or what was you know what was the real risk? The real risk is what could happen um, you know, if if, if we crash the car or hurt somebody. And so, as we relate that to the market, how often do people say, oh, I'm a conservative investor, and and yet, there they go, they, they allow the NVIDIA to triple, and it's now 12% of their portfolio, or I unfortunately knew some people who worked for banks that thought they were being conservative by just buying stock into their bank. And so, not only was their 401k invested in their bank stock, but so was their personal money. Well... You know, 2008 happens, and they're completely wiped out. That was a real risk. Having like this 60% year. in the market is, you know, is, is a, all that is, is a, um, you know, is a, is, a, is, a, is a perceived risk. This year you had Silicon Valley Bank, which everybody thought was this
1: growing, solid bank, and it went bankrupt in like two days, literally. And p- people got frozen. Could people have seen that coming and, and seen that as a real risk?
2: I think that if you had more than $250,000 in that bank, which was covered by FDIC or, or whatever the insurance was, um, that was a real risk. In other words, you didn't know that bank would go under, but you knew it could. And so why would you put more than the, the amount of insurance in that bank? Um, they thought, oh, I'm putting it in a bank. I'm being conservative. But the, you know, the, the real risk, Was uh, what could happen if if they buy long bonds when when they you know when bonds were when rates were going up, and um, now when that happened, then the 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 um, I guess the challenge for all of us who saw that happening was: is that a real risk for the economy, or is that a perceived risk? And the conclusion that most of us drew was: no, that's a perceived risk. That was a that was not two thousand and eight. This was a couple of institutions investing poorly, but this wasn't a, a spread around the economy type of event like 2008 was. So constantly, you, you know, you're, you're, the challenge is figuring out perceived versus real risk. Most of the time, if you stay diversified, don't take too much risk in any one holding. Then when things go down, it's more of a perceived risk. It's, oh, it feels bad, but it's not that bad. But if you have too much in anyone holding or, you know, with Silicon Valley, for those that, that, you know, wealthy individuals that put, you know, millions of dollars in a bank that they didn't have insurance for, that was a real risk.
1: Did you take some pleasure in seeing the most sophisticated, you know, private equity and venture capital and biotech entrepreneurs and all these super smart people having all their money in Silicon Valley Bank and then... Seeing it collapse so quickly like that and teaching them a lesson was that a good moment for you?
2: Uh, I don't think I ever can take pleasure in in in, in people's pain. I, I it's more amazement. It's more a a, a a confusion of how they got to be there where they were. But I, I shouldn't be amazed because so often the things that 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 the the things that allowed them to make that money, the confidence and the the ability to take the risk they did to to make their money is also the same thing that gets them to take too much risk when they're saving money. That's an interesting point, too. I'm a saver. I'm not a guy that, that, you know, has made tons of money, but I know how to save it. I had a client one time. He said, you know, Mick, I'm a businessman. I know how to make money. I want you to be the boring guy. I want you to save it for me.
1: Yeah. And people thought they were doing that by putting it in the bank, but a little bit over the 250000 limit.
2: Exactly. And, and not assuming that these surprises can, can, can happen to you.
1: So you're saying live your life assuming surprises are going to come up from, uh, you won't know what to do, or just accept them.
2: A- accept them and, and put yourself in a position that if they happen, you're going to be okay. You're, you're, you know, we, we you know, have a little water around the house and, and um, yeah, some toilet paper apparently. <laughs> and and uh you know and and with your stocks have have some stocks because eventually things turn around, and so pick that point where you're not going to get scared when the, when the when the thing happens, and then be willing to buy you know i I've had very conservative older people when the market drops say, "Well, Mick, we were at fifty percent and now we're at forty five What do you think they're they're trained let's let's buy
1: yeah." Very good.
2: We're going to take another
1: break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mick Hyman. His book is called Mellow Your Money, How to Surf the Market and Build Wealth Without Stressing Yourself Out. You can find out more at his website, mellowyourmoney.com. We'll be back after this.
3: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network
4: You've
0: been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mick Hyman. His book is called Mellow Your Money, How to Surf the Market and Build Wealth Without Stressing Yourself Out. His website, mellowyourmoney.com. Welcome back to the show, Mick. Thank you, Jordan. So we're talking about being mellow, but you also have a chapter on romance and not to get caught <laughs> in a romance with your money. You said there's a time to stay and a time to go. So how do you equivalent uh, investing with uh, finding a mate and and uh, marrying and romantic
2: stuff? Well, and uh, unfortunately, this was this was not a. Um success story with romance and so uh, this is me after a divorce and walking down the candy aisle um, of a grocery store and a beautiful woman kind of walks by and looks at me and says uh i think i know you and i of course had no idea who she was but i wasn't going to look a gift horse in the mouth as they say of course i know you and we start talking and ironically uh, she was somebody that i knew um Probably eight years ago, we had volunteered in my son's class together, and uh, and she, she at that point was divorced. I was divorced, and it led to instant romance. And um, I, you know, fell quickly in love, and you know, we went, you know, we went on vacations and went to Europe together, and just had an amazing time. And finally, uh, she she moves in, and, and 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 it wasn't until at that point that we realized we weren't really fit for each other and it was so hard to, to then break away eventually um, she was able to do that and it was a it was a heartbreak for me you know it was uh but but the thing that I compared it to and, and I and of course the emotion I felt is hard to say or how can you connect that with a stock you know and 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 so maybe the emotions I felt were a little deeper than that but so often I've seen people um, have a stock that was very, very successful and take off and, you know, maybe it's Apple or NVIDIA or in the old days it was an energy stock or, 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 or it could have been a bank stock. And if you told them, you know, this is now, it, it's not 8% of your portfolio, it's now 30% of your portfolio or 40 It's a huge part of your portfolio. And they say, I can't sell that. That's, that's, my, that's my baby, and I've seen these the, these things happen where when they start falling, um, eventually they get talked into. Well, maybe I should peel it back a little bit, but uh, I don't know. I'll wait for it to go up another point or two, or I'll wait for this or that. And and it's it's um, it's that emotion of I can't let it go. This has mm-hmm. been my this has been how I've seen my wealth grow, and and so. Again, I, I think it was a little trite to compare it to my, my own heartbreak. But there is an emotion people have with stocks over time when, when the positions get larger. And it's a very hard thing to, to let some of it go. And yet that gets back to that perceived worth versus real risk. And, um, you know, IBM, Xerox, NCR, these were darlings of Wall Street, Woolworth. They're not, you know, some of them are with us still and some of them aren't.
1: And you say, that it, the, you say that good investments have three good legs. What are the three good legs of a good investment?
2: Okay, so that I learned after first stock I picked, um, LTV, which at the time ended up being one of the bigger bankruptcies in America. Um, that was my welcome to the business. But, you know, reading Jesse Livermore and learning, hey, what can you learn from that? The fellow and I that, that was you know, a young fellow at the firm, we kind of looked at things and said there are three ways to look at stock. They're the fundamentals, and that's the, the story behind the stock, the stock. That's the financials. You know, what, how is that stock growing? What are the products? What, what can make that company continue to grow in the future? That's the fundamentals. And you can get the fundamentals right, but at some point if you pay too high a price for it, it can hurt you. So then you look at the valuation and you say, how is it valued in the market? That's price earnings ratio, how the price is versus the earnings, or the price to book, or the price relative to to its own history. And so by combining the fundamentals and the valuation, you not only hopefully get a story you like, but you get it at a value. And then the third leg is the technicals. And that a lot of people have trouble understanding, but I've always thought and what I've heard is the technical show a picture and it actually is tracking the emotions of a stock. Oftentimes it's showing you that value that the, how is the stock reacting to the fundamentals you're learning about? All three are connected and what I've found over time is if you get all three right and you pay attention, then you've got a good chance of, of making the money over time.
1: It seems like there's a contradiction though, between the, valuation of the technicals. The technicals are going to show the things going up and has momentum, but the valuation is going to be overvalued at that point. So how do you square a high
2: valuation with good technicals? I guess I guess the technicals are in the eye of the beholder oftentimes. <laughs> that that when you're when you're buying a stock, what I actually like to see is is a stock that's that's bottomed out, that maybe has gone down for, for some period of time and then shows a sign of turning around and you, and you see a bottoming formation. And so that's a fantastic technical to buy. But once the stock starts moving up, I have found that the, there's a trend that you can follow and see is the stock way above its long-term trend or is it on the trend line? And I have found that, that at those times, most of the time, unless it's run too far, the valuation may not be positive anymore, but it's neutral. And so, um, you know, it may be that, that, you know, a NVIDIA that's gone so high and the valuation gets so extreme, the technicals would also show you that that's well above that 200-day moving average. And so it's extreme too. So some of these stocks that you wouldn't necessarily sell, but you would take back down to a normal position, the valuation and the technicals can at times tell you something.
1: So you would look more at the new low list, the new high list as a place to uh, buy well-valued stocks.
2: Somewhere in between, you know, that there's another expression, of course, you've probably heard that don't cost, don't don't, uh, catch a falling knife. Yes. So some of these new lows, I, I, you know, it's almost like you'd want to look at the new low list a half year or a year later. Have they actually stopped going down? Are they starting to go up? Are they showing something? Yeah, you look at a, You know, stock, you know, some of these stocks, they hit a new low and it's just a sign of things to come. So I I definitely like to see a a stock showing a sign of a bottom, maybe in the face of bad news. Sometimes the best thing you can see is, you know, a company has been going down and it's finally studying and going sideways and they have another bad earnings report. And guess what? It doesn't go down anymore. It's tired of going down. Well, accidentally, something good might start to happen. And if you like the story, that's a good time to, to get in.
1: Relative strength is what you're saying. We want to see yeah. relative strength gaining. Exactly.
2: Yep. yep. In the short time
1: we have left, kind of what difference will it make in people's lives, both financially and emotionally, to follow the advice and Mellow Your Money compared to the way they do it now, where they're following meme stocks and day trading cryptocurrencies and all the things that most people are doing these this.
2: I, 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 I would hope what it would do is is um, it, it's not it, it's very unimportant to, to pay attention to money in your life but I would hope that if you if you focus on your long-term goals and you keep to your objective you occasionally you know rebalance to, to what that long-term goal is it takes a lot of pressure off you you don't have to figure out what the next meme stock is you don't have to worry about keeping up with Whoever's bragging on social media, you know that you've got your own objective and you can live your life more calmly. And and if we can have that balance in our in our finances, my hope is that we have more balance in our lives and, and we can have a you know a, a more uh, a life that's more complementary and you know, focus on our family and our kids and know that long term our, our money will work out uh, and, and work out better by not worrying about it every day. And spend more time surfing, hopefully. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> Very as good. As long
2: we're not I... drowning out there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much.
1: My guest this hour has been Mick Hyman. His book is called Mellow Your Money, How to Surf the Market and Build Wealth Without Stressing Yourself Out. You can find out more at his website, mellowyourmoney.com. Thanks so much, Mick. We learned a lot this last
2: hour. Thank you so much, Jordan. I really, really uh, enjoyed it.
1: Thanks so much. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.
0: Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.